Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to Evening Thoughts. I hope that you are well and having a great weekend so far. My name is Sam, and I'm the host of this podcast, and we talk about faith, life, death, and the beyond. You can find me on Instagram at eveningthoughts2021, or you can email me at eveningthoughts at hotmail.com. I would love to hear from you and uh, get to know you a little bit more. Before we begin, if you like what you hear, please share this podcast with someone you know. As some of you may know, my wife and I are moving to Japan. In fact, most of our things are packed up right now and our household goods are about to be shipped off to Japan this week. It is bittersweet to say goodbye to friends that we have made along the way here in Southern California, but we are excited to make new friends and experience life in Japan for the next couple years. This Sunday will be the last day at Pillar Oceanside. Pillar Oceanside has been our church home for the last year or so, and the pastor asked me to give one last sermon. And so on this episode, I'm actually going to present what my sermon will be. And so this episode may be a little bit different than most, but I hope that it will still help your growth and your faith as you walk with Jesus. By the way, if you're looking for a military church that loves Jesus and wants to make him known, and you happen to be in the Oceanside area, please give this wonderful church a visit. I know that you'll be loved and you will hear the gospel message and the community around this church will see Jesus in you as well. I cannot recommend this church enough to you, uh, so please attend if you have the opportunity. So with that said, let us begin. One of the many blessings of marriage is that my wife has slowly changed the kinds of food that I eat. She often reminds me that I need to eat more fruit and vegetables, and without her, my diet would consist of hot pockets and ramen. So when we go grocery shopping, I've gotten better at recognizing fruit and vegetables that are ripe and ready to eat. For example, you can tell an avocado is ready to eat when it yields to gentle pressure of your hand. Personally, I like it a bit squishy because it makes it easy to cut and make into guacamole. A watermelon has what they call a field spot or also called a ground spot. This is the underside of the melon that rests on the field as it grows, and it shows you that it has had time to sit long enough to ripe. It's usually a yellowish spot on the melon, and you can spot it pretty easily. Of course, celery needs to be crisp and not wilted. And so I think what I'm looking for are marks that the fruit or vegetable is ready to eat or that it's matured. In that train of thought, you can look at someone who claims to be a Christian and see marks or signs of their faith. You can examine someone and observe and recognize signs that their faith is genuine. We have seen John, the author of this book, do this several times throughout our study. John is concerned with the divinity of Jesus. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is the Son of God from eternity past. He is fully human and fully divine. And so John is concerned that we believe that as Christians. John is concerned with Christians walking in the light and loving a fellow brother or sister in faith. John is concerned about not loving the world and knowing that we are separate and should be set apart for the Lord. John is concerned that we chase after purity and holiness. And in our passage this morning, John continues that theme and his aim 
is to remind us how we should live out our Christian lives. John isn't telling us how to become Christians in this passage. He isn't telling us what we must do to get right with God in this passage, so to speak. He's really honestly concerned that a Christian live out their faith. In our passage today, John is showing us that a Christian will think a certain way, will speak a certain way, will act and behave a certain way. With that said, would you turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, and we will read to chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. 1 John chapter 2, verses 28, and we'll read that to chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And let us read the word of God together. Would you follow along as I read? And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. My sermon is entitled, The Marks of a Christian. And to help us along with this passage, I have broken this passage down to three headings. Number one, Christians find their confidence in Jesus. Number two, Christians find their identity in Jesus. And number three, Christians pursue purity. Let's get right into it. Number one, Christians find their confidence in Jesus. Verses 28 and 29 says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. In John's fashion, he refers to Christians as little children, and he says Christians abide in him. Christians abide in Jesus. They surrender to the Holy Spirit. They lean on the Lord. They give in to God. They rely daily on Jesus. Christians depend on God for all their needs. They make their home in God. And why should we abide in him? So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. 
Before I joined the Navy, I was a hospital chaplain for five years, and it was expected that we would do overnight shifts several times a week. One night, I was called to visit a patient who came in to be treated for a flesh-eating bacteria on his right hand. And as I entered the room, I met a young man on his bed who was, for lack of a better word, very goth-looking. His hair was black, his nails had been painted black, he wore all black, and had piercings all over his face. I introduced myself, sat down, and we began to talk. He spoke of a very hard life. He was molested as a child, and he coped with it by drinking and eventually fell into a life of lavish, selfish living. And after years away from running from God, he wanted peace with God and himself, and he wanted to change. And he said, I just don't know how. I sat and listened to his story and asked guiding questions, but throughout the hour-long conversation, I was internally wrestling with myself. You see, as a hospital chaplain, one of the things that we're taught is not to impose our beliefs on patients. But I felt a tugging in my heart to share the gospel. I felt the Holy Spirit opening up an opportunity for me to tell this young man about Jesus. But I was scared. I thought, what if he gets mad at me or gets angry? What if he reports me to the staff? What if he rejects me? What if he says no? You see, my confidence was in myself, and it was preventing me from sharing the gospel, but I couldn't hold it in any longer, and finally I interrupted him and I said, Jacob, I know someone who can make you right with God. I know someone who can give you peace that you're looking for. Would you like to hear more about Jesus? And at that moment, Jacob's face grew stern like a statue. His face became red, and he said to me, I've been talking for one hour, and I've been waiting for you to say that. Why do you think I asked for a chaplain to come see me? Yes, I want to hear about this Jesus. That's what I called you in here for. Have you ever had someone get mad at you for not telling them about Jesus? And so I did. I shared the gospel, and he cried, and I cried, and he invited Jesus into his heart as Lord and Savior. He repented of his sins, and I gave him contact information to a local church and encouraged him to visit that church when he was released. After I left his room and went down to my office, I cried again, but this time my tears were of shame. You see, my confidence in myself almost prevented me from sharing the gospel. And from that day onward, I made a promise to myself, if I ever felt God giving me an opportunity to share the gospel, that I would take it. And I have. And God has allowed me to see over the years many lost souls coming to him on hospital bedsides. I learned that day that my confidence should be in the Lord and I get that confidence by abiding in the Lord every single day. So that on the day when he comes back, and he will, I can be found faithful. I don't want Jesus to come back and find me ignoring my faith and not making him known to the world. Friends, where is your confidence this morning? If it is on your looks, your money, your career, your intellect, your talent, or your marital status, would you move that confidence over to Jesus? 
And we do that by abiding, being connected, by being nourished by Jesus Christ every single day. And as you abide in him, you will practice righteousness. We call this sanctification, don't we? Because God is righteous and because we're born of him, we will practice righteousness. Look at verse 29 with me. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Now the answer is, of course, yes, God is righteous. Yes, he is. And so the conclusion is that we're called to practice righteousness because we are born of him. Now we must remember that we will make mistakes as we practice righteousness. When you practice something, you grow into your craft. You hone in your skill. You invest hours upon hours, days upon days, and year after year, and you practice. It takes time. You don't just wake up one morning and run a marathon. It takes time. You don't just wake up one morning and cook a meal like Gordon Ramsay. It takes time. You don't just wake up one morning and lift weights like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It takes time. It takes time to get strength. It takes time to gain endurance. It takes time and practice to cook a gourmet meal. It takes time to get some gains. It also takes time to grow spiritually mature. And so we are called to practice righteousness. Now you can do that for good or for evil. You can choose to pour yourself into sin and practice sin, but that will show you that you actually belong to the devil. Look at verses 8 and 9 with me. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But for those who are born of God, practice righteousness. Look at verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seeds abide in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And that practice eventually yields to growth as you look back on your journey. So as you grow in your faith, remember that you will make mistakes, but rest in the fresh grace of our Savior every single day. Keep on moving and keep on growing. Keep maturing. Keep putting Jesus first. If you've dropped the ball, pick it back up again. If you failed at your purity, our God is a God of second chances. Let us look at heading number two. Christians find their identity in Him. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. My family came to America when I was seven years old, and as a young immigrant, I absorb the American culture through television. Young minds are like sponges, so I just soaked it all in, and what I saw on TV did not reflect my worldview. When I saw Asians represented on TV, it was to make fun or poke jokes, and over time I actually began to be ashamed of my Korean culture and heritage, and there began a war within myself that would last years. At times, I would lean more to the American culture, and at other times, I was loyal to my Korean heritage. None of my school friends looked like me, and often, I felt misunderstood. When I was with my Korean friends at church, they would shame me because I didn't speak Korean as well as they could. And so, I felt like I had one foot in the American culture and one foot 
to the Korean culture, and I was really confused. It wasn't until college when I came to a place of immense peace because I finally discovered who I was. I wasn't just Korean. I wasn't just an American. I wasn't even Korean American. I was a child of God. Before I'm Korean, before I'm an American, I'm a Christian. I'm not a U.S. citizen first. My citizenship is in heaven. You see, this changed my whole perspective on my identity. It blew my mind. And John is telling us that in verse 1. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. As a Christian, you've been adopted into the family of God, and that is why we can call each other brothers and sisters. It's not that one day we will become children of God. No. John says that we are God's children now. This is the beautiful doctrine of adoption. The church is a family. We may be from different walks of life. We may not all look like each other. But because God has adopted us through his son, we are a family. Now, some of you may have grown up in loving and warm families. Some may have fond memories of your family. Others of us may have come from families that are broken. And your families may have brought sin into the home and hurt you. But in Christ, God has adopted us as his own. Whatever family you may have come from, now you're part of His family. Our earthly parents may have failed us, but our Heavenly Father never fails us. He's always faithful. He always keeps His promises. This blows my mind, and apparently it did for John too, because again, he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Do you want to know how much God loves you? Well, John chapter 17, verse 22 and 23 says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. God's love for his son goes back to the beginning of beginnings. It is a love born in eternity. It is a love that goes beyond space and time. And Jesus is praying for you and I in this passage. And he's telling us that God the Father's love for you and me is exactly the same as God's love for the Son. I just don't understand that. But that is true love. He chose to love us not because we're worthy, but because he is worthy. He loved us when we were rebels, when we were lost in our selfish depravity. His love is the love of a perfect Heavenly Father, and no matter how your earthly fathers treated you, your Heavenly Father will always love you. Through what Jesus has done for you and I, through His imputation of righteousness on us, we're loved. You cannot earn it, work for it, it is all a gift. That is the love of God for you, and not only does He love you, but He likes you. Scripture says that He delights in us. This is what it means to be a child of God. That is your identity. And the world does not understand any of this. They think we're weird, backwards, closed-minded, and old-fashioned. They don't understand why we would go to a church on Sunday mornings to sing and listen to someone speak for an hour. They don't understand why you would give your hard-earned money to, to the church. They don't understand you because they didn't understand him. 
When Jesus was on the earth, they didn't know him for who he truly was. So as Christians, we should stand out. We should be different. We should be set apart and live lives unlike the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And someday, our Savior will come to take us home. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, and with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Just as he ascended up into the sky in the book of Acts, he will descend back into the world in his glorified body, and he can come back at any given moment. James chapter 5, verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. In a twinkling of an eye, he will appear. And when he appears, John says, we will see him as he is. When Jesus comes back, he is coming as a judge. We will not see Jesus the meek. We will see Jesus the glorified king, the mighty lion of Judah. Friends, are you ready? Are you ready for his coming? Will you be found faithful? I pray that you do. I pray that we all do. And when he takes us home to be with him forever, we will have glorified bodies like Jesus. Someone once said, Live as though Christ died yesterday, rose today, and is coming back tomorrow. I love that. It has a sense of urgency, doesn't it? It reminds me that this world is not my home. My home is in heaven with Jesus, and in his presence, we will see all of those friends and family members that we have lost along the way, that went ahead of us into the kingdom of God. They're waiting for us, and when we see them, we will run to them and wrap our arms around them and lift glorified hands to Jesus in praise. Let us move on to my last heading, Christians Seek Purity. Verse 3 to 10. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The ball is in your court today, friends. The onus is on us. John says that we purify ourselves just as he is pure. We need to search our hearts today. Are we entangled with worldliness? Are we taken by our sin? And are we practicing sin or are we practicing holiness? Are we fleeing sin? Are we fighting impurity? Are we killing sin in our lives? Are we setting our minds on things above? Are we seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Are we disciplining our bodies so that it doesn't make us comfortable and make comfort an idol? Are we seeking purity? Are we seeking pure thoughts? 
This is not a stagnant, sitting down, waiting for growth mindset, is it? It is an offensive mindset. It is a heart eager to do God's will. If we really believe this morning that Jesus is coming back, if we really believe that he can come back at any moment, if we really believe that he is coming to judge, if we really believe that God is our Father and he loves us as he loves his own begotten Son, if we really believe that our identity is in him, if we really believe that our home is where he is, then this will affect the way we live our daily lives today. We are told to purify ourselves. We are told to practice righteousness. We are told to abide in Jesus. So right now, go to God in your seats. As you look at me and as you're listening, pray, God, help me. Give me the strength to be pure. Give me the strength and power to practice righteousness. God, help me not to practice sin, but help me to practice purity. Holy Spirit, I don't have the desire in my heart to do what you've called me to do. So please create a pure heart within me. Holy Spirit, purify my eyes and help me to keep looking on you for all of things. Create in me a pure heart within me, Holy Spirit. Help me to be cautious what I see out of my eyes. God, help me to watch things that increase my affection for you, not take away my commitment to you. Holy Spirit, purify my entire being, my hands, my feet, my mouth, and my mind. As Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual journey. Friends, let us not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let us not give into the ways of this world, but let us be transformed by the renewing of our minds and abide in Him. Let us purify ourselves every day, each day. Today we talked about the marks of a Christian. We talked about how Christians find confidence in Jesus. We talked about how Christians find our identity in Jesus. We talked about how Christians pursue purity. By God's grace, by His strength, I pray that we will have the marks as we wait for Him to take us home. I pray that we let our light shine so brightly that we will encourage other believers and be a witness to a dark world. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your grace every single day. Without you, it is impossible to live the way that you've called us to live. So, Lord, give us the strength and power to live for you today. Jesus, thank you for living a sinless life, dying on the cross for sinners like us, and for shedding your blood for the forgiveness of all of our sins. We believe that, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for letting me practice my sermon on you. I hope that it's been a blessing to you. Thank you for joining me again this evening. I pray that you will have a restful and blessed Sunday tomorrow. Take care of yourself. Be safe and like always, peace and blessings. Good night.